So last week we started this series talking about the life of David, and we're primarily going to be in uh, 1 Samuel chapter 23 and chapter 24 this morning. So if you want to turn your Bibles to there, you can. We're going to be looking at a couple other things as well. We started talking about David for a couple reasons. One is David is the most talked about guy in the whole Bible. There's more text about David's life than anyone else. So that's pretty significant. The other thing is in 1 Samuel chapter... uh, 13, God calls David something even more significant. He says he's a man after God's own heart. And so for us, I mean, that's one of those things should kind of perk us up and make us look and see what was it about this guy's life? What do we do? What did he do? What were the roles that he filled and have that play into letting us know who God is and what he has called us to? So last week we talked about David's role as a shepherd, and we're really just picking up exactly where we left off, because as soon as David kills Goliath, David never goes back to being a shepherd again. Now, that role had prepared him for what God had anointed him for to become king later on, and it had prepared him in kind of some unexpected ways to be able to take out and slay a giant. Uh, But from that point forward, David never filled that role again. He changed into becoming a high-ranking military leader, for the nation of Israel, and became a member of King Saul's court. Now, it wasn't because King Saul was enamored with who David was and how amazing he was that Saul kept him close. Saul was actually uh, incredibly afraid and scared of what David had done and what he would become. And so we read in 1 Samuel chapter 18, this is right after David has killed Goliath, The men were returning home, and the women came out from all the towns of Israel to meet King Saul with singing and dancing, with joyful songs, and with timbrels and lyres. As they danced, they sang, Saul has slain his thousands, and David his tens of thousands. And as you can imagine, the ruler of the nation of Israel at this point, Saul, has all these warm, fuzzy feelings in his heart because of the comparison that's being made between him and David. Actually, he was very angry. This refrain displeased him greatly. And he said, They have credited David with tens of thousands, he thought, but me with only thousands. What more can he get but the kingdom? And from that time on, Saul kept a close eye on David. And by close eye, Saul began trying to kill David from that point forward, all because he was jealous. Jealousy is kind of funny like that, and by funny I mean one of those stupid things that we kind of get caught up in uh, in our lives that take us into this path and this rut of darkness. And, and it's funny, it's funny and it's stupid and it's silly that we get caught up in it because jealousy only falls really into two categories. One is we get jealous of stuff that we in no way, shape, or form can possibly control. Like, I'm never going to be able to, not that anybody would want to look like Tom Brady, but I will never look like Tom Brady. Like, so if I'm jealous, not that anybody would be jealous, but if I'm jealous of that, that's that's just dumb. Like, I can't control that. That's completely out of of my control. Or we get jealous over stuff that only we can control. And this is Saul's issue. And this is his problem. He looks at David and he says, man, everybody loves David. Everybody's talking, I mean, tens of thousands, only get thousands. He's great. It seems like God, you know, he's follow, David's following God and all these great things are happening. He's got this great success and I can't have any of this. And really the only reason Saul doesn't have any of this is because he's made the choice to build a kingdom on his own power and control, his own sovereignty instead of God's. 
And instead of David's success being something he could celebrate because ultimately it was God's victory for the entire nation, he felt threatened and he was jealous and he was scared. He was afraid of David. It says in verse 12 of 1 Samuel chapter 18, because the Lord was with David but had departed from Saul. And so from that point on, Saul tries to kill David. He tries to pin him to the wall with a spear a couple times. He puts David over and in charge of a thousand men of the army, which sounds like, man, he's given a lot of power there. What's up with that? Well, he was sending him on missions that he was hoping he would die uh, from. He even uh, set up this marriage between David and one of his daughters, and to do so, he sends David on a suicide mission. He's like, man, if I get him to go do this thing, then he'll surely be killed as a result of that. And each time, David ends up having success, and he becomes renowned in the nation of Israel. He becomes this war hero, and he also becomes a hunted fugitive because of Saul. Now, I don't think there's a psalm of David. If you read through the psalms, he wrote about 73 of them. I don't think there's one that says sarcastically, thanks a lot, God, you know, for, for this situation that you put me in, where it seems like this is not the kind of trajectory that makes sense for someone that God has anointed to become king. Like, things are not going well for David. He's got this great reputation, but he can't do anything about it because now he's on the run because Saul wants to kill him. There, is a, uh, there are plenty of psalms, like Psalm chapter 57, that if you read that later on this week, it's specifically written around this time period that we're going to be talking about in David's life this morning, where David is crying out to God to be saved from his enemies that are closing in around him. But running for your life just doesn't seem like this is a good indicator for success or that somehow this is going to end up with David being where God said he wanted him to be. But here's the thing about following God's heart and what it looks like to be a person that models their, their heart and their life after God's heart, is that following God's heart doesn't guarantee success. In fact, it, it often costs us a lot. David's motivation for staging a coup, for not staging a coup and taking over as king and changing and improving his circumstance, his motivation is simply to do the right thing because it's the right thing. He wasn't looking around and saying, man, things would be a lot better if I would just kill Saul and become king now. He, he did the right thing because of the right thing. It doesn't always mean that there's going to be this great reward, there's this great circumstance that your life is going to be put in all of a sudden. And there's certainly an expectation that when we follow God that there is going to be some sort of reward that we experience. James 1 verse 12 says, Blessed is the one who perseveres under trial, because having stood the test, that person will receive the crown of life that the Lord has promised to those who love him. But that crown of life doesn't mean that everything is going to be spectacular and successful in your life right now. The grace and mercy that we receive and the love that we receive through the faithfulness of Jesus is reason enough for us to make the right choice. It's reason enough for us to choose the right battles in our life simply because God has called it right. Those are the only circumstances that we're called to find ourselves in. The natural inclination for us and for me and kind of the def you know, our default when it comes to uh, humanity is to use our circumstances as an indicator of what kind of choices we should make. Use our circumstances to determine, okay, here, here's the decision I need to make or here's because this is where I want to be. This is the circumstance that I'm in. And we use that to diagnose and base on our sy symptoms that that really are not based on the underlying problem in our lives. 
We're part of a society that loves to medicate symptoms, but not the underlying issue. We'd rather compromise facts, reason, and even what's right, so we don't have to acknowledge that our choices are often to blame for our circumstances. See, in a broken world and with broken people, us, we're always fighting for or against something. All of us become warriors for or against something. The issue, the problem that we have is that we just don't always choose the right battles. We don't always expend the correct energy in the correct ways. In this period of David's life as a warrior, David gives us a picture of what it looks like to be a warrior that is after God's heart and that is expending the right energy in how we pick our battles. See, while David is hiding out from Saul in 1 Samuel chapter 23, he's hiding out from Saul. He doesn't just sit there and wallow around in self-pity. He does do that a little bit because we can read the Psalms and see that there are perfectly, certainly legitimate times where David is crying out to God, and that's perfectly legitimate. But that's not all that he does. He doesn't just sit there and do nothing. He also fulfills his responsibility as a warrior and a leader of people. Because at this point, there are enough people that have looked at Saul and his kingship and how he's treated David, and he said, man, there's something wrong here. There's something off about this guy named Saul. And so there are 600 people that have come to David to follow after him and to help protect him, and they're hiding out uh, together. And they hear about this town in 1 Samuel chapter 23 that's under duress. In fact, it's being overrun by the Philistines. They're coming to loot and to kill and all this kind of stuff. David hears about it, and his first thought isn't, I'll let Saul take care of that. That's his responsibility. He starts to make preparations to go rescue the town. David's sitting there, and he says, you know what? We should ask God whether or not we should go rescue this town from the Philistine army. Now, his men, on the other hand, think he's crazy. He's, they say in 1 Samuel chapter 23, verse 3, Here in Judah we are afraid. How much more then if we go to Keilah against the Philistine forces? They're saying, look, we're, our necks are already stuck out. Saul is looking for us. This is the perfect opportunity for Saul to find out where we are, to come after us, and to kill us. And you're talking about going and saving this other town that can't help themselves? David, you're crazy. But once again, as he had done initially, David inquires of the Lord, and the Lord answered him, Go down to Ketelah, for I am going to give the Philistines into your hand. And so David and his men went. They fought the Philistines and carried off their livestock. He inflicted heavy losses on the Philistines and saved the people of Ketelah. David, and, and I, this is going to be one of those moments where it sounds, man, it's, it's, too, it's too simple. Like, it can't be... It can't be this. David knew what battles he should fight and what circumstances he should worry about because he asked God. David was a war hero. He, he had military strategy. He knew what to do, but he didn't make a move without divine approval. And it's not like that made it an easy call. I mean, his, his men were like, no, you're nuts. There's, there's no way we should do that. This is stupid. But David didn't do it based on that. He made the decision what battle he was going to choose, not over the circumstance it would put him in, but because it was the right thing to do, the thing that a person after God's own heart would do and choose. And the more you read through God's word through the Bible and the more you listen to God and, uh, through prayer and have that conversation with him, the clearer which battles we should fight become. But there's also another really good indicator that David uses here to determine 
what kind of energy he should expend and what battle he should fight. And that's this. Warriors that are after God's heart fight for others. Even more specifically in this situation in our lives, warriors with God's heart fight for those who can't fight for themselves. And I'm not sure what your reaction is to things, you know, there, there's a, we've talked about this, and we have this event coming up this week called Q Commons that we've invited people to to come and, and to learn more about this and discuss what, what we can do. But we've talked about how there's division in our country, and we talk about the political and social arguments that we get into, the battles that we fight with each other, and the expended energy that we, that we do with that. And, and it's one of those things, like, I, I don't know what your reaction is when in the midst of that you start to hear about things like ra- racial reconciliation, which has been a topic for a long time. Uh, now in our season and all the stuff that comes in with that. And I don't know what your, re- uh, your reaction is to stuff like this week. There's a social media campaign called Hashtag Me Too where women identified that they'd been sexually harassed or abused or assaulted uh, in their lives. And I, like, like here's my concern or, or here's the thing that I'll say, and this is a tough thing to say and a tough thing to hear, and, and I get it, but shame on us. If we've expended so much energy fighting the wrong battles politically and socially that we have nothing left to give for people who need our help, for people who need us to help stand up for them, for people who need us to teach young men to respect and not objectify women, for us to to teach each other and show each other that and we got to stop looking at ourselves and just acknowledge at least as a first step that there are people that have had a different life experience from us. See, while David is on the run for his life, he is regularly faced with this decision whether or not he should fight for himself or fight for others. It's a running theme in his life in this moment. And it was never more difficult for him than when he was faced with this position and decision to not have to be on the run anymore. See, what happens as a result of 1 Samuel chapter 23 is that Saul finds out about where David and his men are. They're hiding out in this place called En Gedi. And so if you start to read 1 Samuel chapter 24, you see that David is hiding out there with his men. It's a great spot. There are plenty of caves there for them to hide out in. There are a lot of natural resources. And Saul gets some military intelligence that says, hey, David and his men are hiding out in the desert of En Gedi. So he gathers 3,000 men. And in the ancient world, uh, 3,000 men are the equivalent of Saul choosing a special forces team to go after David. So we've got 3,000 men going after 600, and they head to En Gedi. And Saul and his men are traveling, and then um, you just read through 1 Samuel chapter 24 there, nature calls. And I know, I know it sounds silly and kind of crazy, but this is a huge pivotal moment in the story. Nature calls, and this calls Saul to go find a cave uh, to to go do this. And not to be crass, but your, your Bibles will say that Saul went to go relieve himself. Some of your versions will say Saul went to go cover his feet, and it meant that Saul needed to go find a private uh, place to go sit down. So Saul is in this cave, and unbeknownst to him, uh, David and his men providentially are hiding in this same cave. Not providential, maybe, for David. Uh, Anyway, so Saul is there, and this is a complete nightmare scenario. It's a nightmare scenario for a couple of reasons. One reason is uh, Saul is is there, and uh, there are not too many other positions you can find yourself in 
where you're more vulnerable than this one. I mean, it's just, it's just not. He's an incredibly vulnerable position here. Secondly, this is literally a nightmare. Like, this is not a position that you want to be in line of sight with, with anyone. There was a, it makes me think of this art installation in 2004. It was called Don't Miss a Sec. And, and they put this, like, mirror thing where it was a you know, one-way uh, mirror that you, you could see through there as, a, as an art installation. I'm not sure what they were trying to communicate other than I never knew that there was something that was going to make me grateful for porta potties. But while this is happening, David's men are whispering in 1 Samuel chapter 24. They say, This is the day that the Lord spoke of when he said to you, I will give you your enemy into your hands for you to deal with as you wish. And then David creeps up unnoticed and cut off a corner of Saul's robe. Now, you might not have known that the Bible says that. So I'll, I'll give you your enemy into your hands for you to deal with as you wish. What's interesting is that there's no place that we have on record in Scripture where God ever told David that. It's, it's kind of like David's men were saying this thing. It's like, I'm sure that God would have said this at some point somewhere. We'll say stuff like, well, I just know that God wants me to be happy. That's got to be in the Bible in there somewhere, right? It, it's not. He, he doesn't say anywhere that he wants us to be happy. He wants us to be holy. But he doesn't say that. So afterwards, in verse 5, David is conscience-stricken for having cut off a corner of his robe. He said to his men, The Lord forbid that I should do such a thing to my master, the Lord's anointed, or lay my hand on him, for he is the anointed of the Lord. And with these words, David sharply rebuked his men and did not allow them to attack Saul. And Saul left the cave and went his way. Here's, here's the second thing that's important to note about this passage, because it seems like David had used a great amount of restraint in his life for not killing Saul. This would have completely changed his circumstance. He wouldn't have to run for his life anymore. He would finally become king if he had done this. And so why is he so upset over just cutting this robe? Well, there's a couple things. One is, in uh, this day and time, there would have been incredible significance in the robe that Saul had. It would have identified his position as king. And the fact that David destroyed part of that meant that he was invalidating Saul's position because that robe would have been used. In fact, uh, some cultures would use that to uh, make an impression on clay, kind of like we think of as a signet ring, uh, pushing that into, into wax. And this would have identified Saul's authority. The other thing is, from a religious standpoint, is in Numbers chapter 15, God had instructed the Israelite nation to, on the corners of the robes, attach tassels and even a blue cord that would be there to remind them of God's laws and who their identity uh, was religiously. And so David not only uh, invalidated Saul's authority as a king, but he also made him um, become uh, out of step with the law when it came to his clothing. So this is, this is what he's done. He's conscience-stricken because he had violated Saul's identity, one that he respected as being God-given. And a move to invalidate Saul was a move against God. And I, and I wonder if we were to stop and consider this teaching of Jesus in Matthew chapter, 20, Matthew chapter 5, verses 43 through 44, where Jesus says, Love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you 
I wonder if we were to stop and kind of change our posture just a little bit when it comes to who we're fighting against and what battles we face with other people and what disagreements we have, and to stop fighting against the person and recognize that the person that's made in God's Im- image is not the one that's the enemy. There's certainly that their ideals and their beliefs and there's other issues that, you know, that, that we do that become the problem and the thing that we talk about, but but what if, what if we just kind of shifted our perspective just a little bit instead of attacking the person, we dealt with the real problem that was there? See, David, at this point, waits for Saul to get out of the cave, and he walks out after him. Saul is down a, a little distance, and he launches into um, what some scholars describe as like one of the greatest examples of wisdom and reconciliation that you can read in Scripture. And in 1 Samuel chapter 24, I'd encourage you, like if there's a place where you know you need to reconcile with someone, use what David has to say as your example and kind of a template for you to do that. But what I'm going to read are kind of just the last comments of David and then read Saul's response from chapter 24 because they are the most telling of the significance of what David has done as a warrior after God's heart. So in 1 Samuel chapter 24, verse 14. David says, Against whom has the king of Israel come out? Who are you pursuing? A dead dog? A flea? May the Lord be our judge and decide between us. May he consider my cause and uphold it. May he vindicate me by delivering me from your hand. And when David finished saying this, Saul asked, Is that your voice, David, my son? And he wept aloud. You are more righteous than I, he said. You have treated me well, but I have treated you badly. You have just now told me about the good you did to me. The Lord delivered me into your hands, but you did not kill me. When a man finds his enemy, does he let him get away unharmed? May the Lord reward you well for the way you treated me today. I know that you will surely be king and that the kingdom of Israel will be established in your hands. Now swear to me by the Lord that you will not kill off my descendants or wipe out my name from my father's family. And so David gave his oath to Saul. And then Saul returned home, but David and his men went up to the stronghold. Robert Bergen writes this about how David acts and how Saul describes this. He says, David treated the king properly, not because of anything the king had done or might do, but because of what the Lord had done. David's respect for human authority was based on his respect for divine authority. And see, when we have the right perspective and when we have the right heart, warriors with God's heart choose to fight the right battles. And more specifically, warriors with God's heart recognize the real enemy. See, Saul was not David's real enemy. David was fighting against Saul's fear, his insecurity, and his selfishness. David was fighting against a system out of fear that chose to make Saul king simply because the Israelite nation wanted to be like every other nation. David was fighting against himself and his desire to improve his circumstance by doing the wrong thing. And David recognized his true enemy and spared Saul's life. And too many humans and Often too many Christians misidentify their fellow man as the enemy. We believe the lie that people who look different than us, come from a different background, have a different skin color, vote differently, speak a different language, or have a different belief system than us are our enemies. And if we become the kind of warrior that God wants us to be, our our perspective will change and what battles we fight will be different. 
and have different results. A couple weeks ago, Chip and I went to a leadership conference, and there was a guy named Jeremy Courtney that was there invited to speak. And he, he was there, actually, he was interviewed, and I didn't know who he was or what his background or story was. So that was kind of the first question. is said, hey, introduce yourself. Who are you? And he said, well, um, probably the easiest way to tell you uh, who I am is to tell you what I did as a response of the events of 9-11. He said 9-11 is one of those things that for a lot of people were transformative and they were different and that changed posture, you know, how people viewed people in other places and other countries. And he said, my reaction and the reaction of my family, he's got a wife and he's got daughters, was to move to Iraq. Not to fight, but to help. Help people that, that needed it. And as he's talking about this and as he's sharing about this, just this subtle shift in posture, like what does it look like to love your enemies? What does it look like to pray for those who persecute you? And I'm not saying all of us are called to move to Iraq and to live in a place like that. And he, he talked about it and he identified the fact, that, hey, there's, there's a lot of fear as a result of that. I've got a wife and I've got two daughters. And, and I think about, man, what are the, what's the likelihood of them being kidnapped or raped or killed? I mean, you know, we've had to dodge bombs since we've lived over here. And what, what do you do with it? How do you live with, with that fear? And what, what, do you, what do you do when it comes to picking the right, right battles? And here was his conclusion. So when it comes to loving our enemies, so we have to sit with the neighbors that we're so afraid of. We have to move toward others in love. This is what David did to Saul. Is it fair? No, it may not be fair. Is it safe? No, it may not be safe. Are you going to lose your life? Well, hopefully you already have. I mean, that, that just changes things. When you consider the fact that when we become Christians and we choose to follow God, that we recognize that we're bought with a price that we can never repay, that we become children of God, that, that our lives are not our own. That, that we've given that over to God to, for Him to show us how to live and how we are to give our lives. Paul, in, in Romans chapter 12, in, in describing how we should determine what battles to choose, he, he essentially describes exactly how David treats Saul. He says, bless those who persecute you, bless and do not curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice, mourn with those who mourn, live in harmony with one another. Do not be proud, but be willing to associate with people of low position. Do not be conceited. Do not repay anyone evil for evil. Be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everyone. If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Do not take revenge, my dear friends, but leave room for God's wrath. For it is written, it is mine to avenge, I will repay, says the Lord. On the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. In doing this, you will heap burning coals on his head. Oh, that's the motivation. That's why we should love our enemies. Now, verse 21, he says, Do not be overcome with evil, but overcome evil with good. See, as a warrior after God's heart, David asked God what he should fight for. And as a result, he fought for the helpless, and he fought against himself. And he fought for the reconciliation with Saul. May, may we be known not so much, maybe just a little bit more, not by what we're against and what we're fighting against, but what we're fighting for. Because one of the promises that we have from God is that when we fight the right battles, we're assured the right victory. I mean, that's, that's what happens when we recognize every Sunday that, that God has fought and defeated death and sin and has won the victory. 
That that's the picture that we have when in baptism is that we enter into Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection and that death and sin have been defeated. We've won the victory that has mattered.